So fresh off their first encounter with the risen Jesus, the disciples are on their own again, and they're struggling. All night on the Sea of Tiberias, no fish, and that tired and empty feeling, you know it. The can of potted meat is empty. <laughs> the hunger pangs are setting in. Uh, some of them are irritable. Peter is naked for some reason. We don't get the details. <laughs> and others just want to sleep it off. And when a stranger on the shore calls out to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And the water carries his voice. Now, I don't know what vastly different underwater ecosystem exists on the right side of the boat that wouldn't have already been underneath the left side of the boat. I mean, these, this wasn't an ocean liner for crying out loud. And I'm no expert in nautical history, but I want to go out on a limb here and suggest that the disciples were, were not fishing <laughs> on, you know, fishing from a, like an, an oil pier or some kind of massive ship what would change significantly by them switching sides I don't, I, don't, I don't get that cast your net on the right side of the boat now it also seems to me that they would take offense even to this suggestion from another point of view after all some of the men on this boat are professional fishermen and you would think that they had thought of that already Fishing all night from the left side of the boat, not catching anything. Hmm, what would we do? Maybe we'd fish from the right side of the boat. I mean, even kids do this when they're fishing on the pier at the beach, not catching any fish on this side. Maybe I'll switch sides. Guys, it's 4 a.m. Why don't we move from port to starboard? I know none of the gospel writers portrayed the disciples as Rhodes scholars. But I don't think they're so dim-witted as to neglect to trying their luck on multiple sides of the boat. Then again, there are experts in nautical history who know the origins of the word starboard. I thought it was the neatest thing. I never knew this. Once upon a time, boats didn't have rudders on their center line. You get on a boat now, you've got a, you got a rudder, you've got an engine that's right there in the center, or you've got two in the back or three, are all balanced from the center. And since uh, most people were right-handed, they fit uh, the rudders through over the stern on the, the right side of the boat. So that was the steering side, the steering board, the starboard, the starboard. So you had the rudder on the right side of the boat. Which means if you're going to pick a side of the boat to fish from, or cast the net from, you're more likely going to cast it from the side that's not going to get hung up in the steering mechanism, right? You cast the net, you catch some fish, it gets dragged at the back, it gets stuck in the oar. Why would you do that? You just switch the boat around and cast it from the left side again, but then you're on what was the right side. That's how you do it. But what you don't do is cast the net on the right side. That's the wrong side. Uh, and you, you can't mess your net up. Nets are precious things. You couldn't just go buy a net from the store. You, 
Where do, remember where we first met James and John? What are, they, what are they doing? They're with their father. They're mending their nets. A precious resource. You don't want to get it caught, stuck up. So to cast one's net on the right side of the boat is to push your luck. Hmm? You might catch some fish, but you're taking a risk. Either way, uh, you're, you, know, you might get the nets tangled up and the steering mechanism. Uh, if you catch a lot of fish, you're still risking because the rudder might slice the net. You lose the fish. So consider then that this stranger has really directed them to do this. Cast your net on the right side of the boat, the wrong side of the boat, or better yet, we may call it the, the unconventional side of the boat. The side certainly laden with more risk, and also more reward. But we might also say that what this stranger has really directed them to do is change their overall approach. You've been fishing this way for so long. You caught a lot of fish this way. What's to prevent you from fishing in this new way? Now remember that the, the disciples are not on record in the Gospels having caught any fish at all without Jesus' help, which is a great joke. I mean, that joke's 2,000 years old. Maybe this is how they recognize that the stranger is Jesus. Because when they obey the stranger's request and they cast the net on the right side, they catch so many fish they can hardly haul it all in. They need help. And perhaps instinctively, Peter recognizes that only Jesus could have been up to something like this. And in his excitement, he leaps naked into the water. Long night for Peter. Now he's excited again. And this is what happens in Easter tide, part anyway. The risen Jesus walks among us, calling us, provoking us, directing us, inviting us to receive abundant life in a new way. Some of you uh, may know that I'm a fisherman, uh, and over the past year I started to take up fly fishing. Uh, a very kind church member gave me a book on fly fishing the Blue Ridge Parkway, and I've been going through that book and trying to find some really sweet spots. I found one down at Davidson, Avery Creek, and I, I read in the book that this is just, you know, the old timers from Brevard would fish this creek, and they love this creek. They come home with just reams of fish. So I was like, man, I can't go wrong going to Avery Creek. <laughs> so I, I, I spend hours. And as you might have guessed, I, I caught nothing. I kept my clothes on. <laughs> but I was really frustrated. And so I'm making my way back, and I'm a little bit lost. Uh, and I stumble upon a stranger on the trail. And he's hunting, and he's got a gun. So I'm like, okay, all right, a stranger with a gun. Uh, he was very nice. We introduced ourselves. He said, I'd be surprised if you caught anything. I said, I haven't caught a thing. Sir, I haven't even seen a fish in the water as clear as a bell. And he said, well, Hurricane Fred came through last fall and washed all the fish out. If you really want to see any fish, you got to go way back up 
to the headwaters. You're going to have to change the direction you're going if you want to see any fish. And it had me thinking about how many hurricanes we've been through. Now, that was Hurricane Fred. But he, now, I'm just speaking as, as your pastor from that perspective and thinking about all the, the hurricanes that we have endured here. In my early years here, well, even before my early years here, I came here when you were grieving Pastor Guy, cancer diagnosis, long interim. And then my early years here, there is a hurricane, hurricane tribalism came blowing through. Hurricane partisanship came blowing through and washed some fish out. Then there was hurricane sexual orientation washed some fish out, brought some other fish in. But boy, that was rough. Sustained winds at 130 miles an hour. And then there's hurricane virus. Changed our habits, washed some fish out. Again and again and again. So I, you know, I can't blame any one of us for feeling nervous and afraid or anxious or feeling like we've been punched below the belt again and again and again. And I'll tell you, I have. Because just as a brand new pastor, again and again and again, I've had to cash in all my chips each time. But here's a new calling. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And in this Eastertide, the man on the shore is calling out to us again, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And there you will find an abundance you cannot yet fathom. Today is Senior Sunday. And I'm grateful on behalf of the church to each one of you, dear friends. 50 years. You, have, you beautiful people have helped make this congregation the special place that it is. And the place that I'm proud to be pastor of. Where would be, we be without this group of beloved people? You've led and served this body of believers with honor and grace and patience. Good times and bad. Man, some of the quagmires y'all have been through. And you're still here. You have a chance again today to lead. We all do. And make possible the 50-year memberships of people we haven't even met yet. You think about that? Mary, she lives in Asheville. She's a counselor. She recently injured her ankle. She got an x-ray, but it turns out she's going to need more than that. She's going to need an MRI. And guess what? She's in her early 30s, and her job 
though full-time, doesn't have benefits, and she cannot afford to get the health care she needs. She's got a master's degree. And the rent is going up and up and up. And the price of gas is going up and up and up. It's getting harder and harder, even if you're from Asheville, perhaps especially if you're from Asheville, to live in Asheville. Is there anybody out there like Mary that might one day be a 50-year member here on account of our casting a net on the right side of the boat? And I think of Kurt, a young adult with special needs, and he's been through the public school system, and, and he's had so much support there, but now he's on the other side of that, and there's not quite as much there for him to look forward to, for his support. Friends are spread back out again. What if we cast the net on the right side of the boat for people like Kurt so that he has a place and a community and a home? And what if he has resources all around him to help him thrive through our congregation and through the YMCA where he builds friendships and has dignity and maybe lives over on this side and works over on this side serving ice cream. And what about Scott? I don't know if you guys heard this story, but uh, since January, this story is actually new to me too, but since January, we've had three catalytic converters stolen from our church buses in the parking lot. <laughs> I mean, it seems like things like that might not happen so often if we cast a net on the right side of the boat. And the reason we know that the catalytic converters were stolen is because Scott called the police. Scott is homeless, by the way, and sometimes parks his truck in our parking lot. It wasn't the homeless person that caused the trouble. It was some guys from South Carolina. But what if we throw the net on the right side of the boat and catch people like Scott and give him a life and a home and a future. He'd help us keep an eye on the place, wouldn't he? <laughs> Across these conversations, there have been questions that largely fall into two categories. Both are important, but one is superior to the other. The first question is, what's going to happen to us? That's a good question. But I think the question we're called to ask today and prompted by this text is, what about them? It's what Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And what about them? Feed my lambs. That's for the kids. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. What about them? And words gotten out about us 
and all of our shenanigans. I mean, we really can't get ourselves into things. <laughs> um, what's the proverb? May you live in interesting times. Welcome. I heard from a pastor in Georgia, this sort of project has a lot of potential to be generative for the church in a way we've rarely experienced before. From another pastor in North Carolina who texted me, bro. <laughs> Tremendous plan sent out today, congratulations. That's a dream scenario for us here. It coincides with some early discussions occurring here. People are watching what we're going to do. From a hairdresser and a local actor just downtown yesterday. That sounds awesome. And I received this letter this week. Dear Dr. Dennis, I understand that the church is giving consideration to the future of your One Oak facility and a potential partnership with the YMCA around an urban village concept. My understanding is that the focus would be in offering workforce housing, community services, and establishing the area as a vibrant neighborhood in which the church would be centered. Your church has an opportunity to play a leading role in showing what collaboration can do to meet these needs. I thank you for your consideration of this exciting proposal and wish you and the congregation well in making this important decision. Sincerely, Kit Kramer. President and CEO, Asheville Area Chamber of Commerce. Funny thing about the right side of the boat is that word is, that whole phrase is strange. You don't see it anywhere else, but you do see the word right, and you see it often when New Testament authors are talking about the right hand of God. Cast your net to the right hand of God. And Luther said, where Jesus sits at the right hand of God, that means he is everywhere. Huh. I just remembered when they hauled all the fish in from the right side of the boat, which is the wrong side of the boat. The text says the nets did not break and they did not lose one fish. 